But it's the only way you're ever gonna learn You look back and it's all in the past I'm dwelling on the thoughts I cannot say to you If I don't say the words then maybe Good evening, welcome to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Braith. It's Thursday night, I'm joined by John Gibson and Super Mac. Good evening, lads. Hi, fellas. Hi, John. How are you doing, mate? Great to see you both, guys. And uh, this is part two and part three combined of Malcolm's seasons at Newcastle United as a player. As you know, in the summer, we like to do uh, something a little bit different on some of the shows. And and it's great to look back on Malcolm's uh, career. I'll take a little back seat and uh, I'll hand over to John. Yeah, um, Mal, we'll start with your second season at Newcastle, 1972-73. And I'll give a few facts and figures for the listeners before we actually delve into it. Um, You played 35 First Division games that season and scored 17 goals. We'll talk about you missing a few games that season in the league through injury. Uh, FA Cup games, two games, one goal League Cup, one game, one goal Texaco Cup, four games, one goal And the Anglo-Italian Cup Which was in that particular season Which we ended up winning You played five games for four goals So competitively, your season was 47 games And 24 goals out of the 47 Which is a phenomenal one, it's one in two, which is as good as you can get for a striker, especially where there's a few injuries and over so many competitions. One, two, three, five competitions, Malcolm, with the uh, the League, FA Cup, League Cup, Texaco Cup and Anglo-Italian. Mm-hmm. And um, we piled a lot in those seasons, pal. And uh, Joe fielded basically his first team in every competition, unlike today. Yes, yeah, he did, um, and because we literally worked on a on a thirteen man squad <clears throat> when um, when we sat in the dressing room for a team meeting, there usually were only twelve, perhaps thirteen players, but that was it, and it was a very it was a, a, a small squad that we had out in the training field, um, and you know there were. These days, good heavens above, they, they consider, you know, you, they do a list of 25 names, don't they? Yes. Well, I mean, in the, incredible thing, the incredible thing, Malcolm, and we'll get onto it in more depth in the second part, the next season, is, I mean, we played the Texaco Cup final and the FA Cup final, Texaco before the FA Cup, but back to back within no space of time at all and put exactly the same side out. We, you yeah. know, we, we didn't spread the load in no. and some of the reserves out in the FA Cup and the League Cup, which sides do this season. That was sort of unheard of. We went in all guns blazing uh, mm. in every competition and, and did well. It was, um, and I think you always said to me that when you look back on your career, you preferred playing anyway to resting or just training. Always. Yeah. yeah. Always, John. Um, it, it, even when it came to uh, to, to the close season, um, I, I, um, I got to a stage where I didn't feel that a long rest was going to do me any good. If in fact, no. it would do quite the opposite, and that I wanted to keep my fitness up on a 
on a regular basis um, and not take that summer dip, as it were, um, in fitness. Um, and so uh, by the time we got to the 74, 75 season, um, I said I said to Joe Harvey, look, I need to go and play through the summer. So um, the, Can you uh, imagine I, that these days, Malcolm? Can you imagine that these days? Can you imagine Harry Kane or somebody saying, oh, you know, I want to continue playing. Let me go out and play this summer somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, they're dying for the rest. Absolutely. But, but there were an awful lot of clubs happy to let their players go through the summer um, and... And go to places like Australia, uh, South Africa, and um, uh, uh, and to Sweden. And, and I was going to say, you yourself. I played in all three of those countries in, um, over yeah, three summers. I've forgotten about Australia, but I certainly knew that while you were famously in South Africa when I did the call about uh, Gordon Lee, yeah. you did go to Sweden as well, didn't you? Yes, yes. I, I, I went to Sweden. Um, and and I played for a site called Jude Gordon um, in the uh, in in Stockholm in the capital of Stockholm, um, and they played in a really historic football stadium. Um, it was built for the um, I think it was twenty sorry nine um, I think it was built for the nineteen oh eight Olympics. Oh right, yeah, and and yeah. Uh, um, and it, it was then sort of taken over by Duke Gordon and, and, and when they played football, um, and it, it was, it, and when we played, it was, it was, one end was still like it had been in 1908. You know, I don't know whether it had a preservation order on it, yes. but it was, it was, it was look. Um, small, sort of low brick building um, with a with a couple of towers on it. Um, well, wasn't wasn't that part? It, wasn't that part of Fulham's ground, like the cottage or something that you weren't you would never be allowed to touch. You had to keep it. Oh, oh, that's right. Um, yeah. Oh my word. Uh, we yeah we couldn't uh, do anything with the cottage. There was a preservation order on that um, at, at Fulham um, and. Uh, and also, um, the, whenever we were working on the ground, um, historians would come along because they were they were searching desperately for to complete history um, for for the original Craven Cottage. All right, yes, which is yes. where Anne Boleyn stayed while she was having the premarital affair with Henry VIII. He would come along from Hampton Court, um, you know, that being rowed in a in, in one of the, the princely boats. Um, and then he and he would stop off at Craven Cottage, go and have his bit of nookie, get back in the boat and carry on to the well, Tower of London or wherever. You found it a good place to score, Malcolm, when you, when you first start playing there. You got a few goals in that time, I didn't score as many as Henry VIII. <laughs> I mean, the funny thing is, I have told this story on a previous um, uh, podcast, but I mean, this business, which fascinates me, if, if superstar players playing voluntarily in the summer, you know, rather than, mm -hmm. than have a break, 
I mean, on, on a rare occasion, you even had the absurd occasion when you were on holiday in Greece and bumped into Puskas and ended up playing a game for his club. That's right. That, um, yes, that was actually at the end of, of, of the season that we did in the last programme, yeah. my first yeah. season at Newcastle. And I went out to... Um, I, and, of course, that was, that was my first time with a senior England squad. Yes. And we played the home, um, uh, the home internationals. <clears throat> um, I played in the first two, was sub and came on against Scotland. Um, and and then we went away on on tour in, in um, to uh, to Eastern Europe, I, I believe, um, and 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 returned. And then I took the family on holiday to Greece, and we were walking through. Um, Athens. Now, if you remember, John, that that first season of mine, I finished second top goal scorer in the first division. The yes. top goal scorer was Franny Lee of Man City. Oh, one yeah. penalty. And, and they had scored about 17 penalties. <laughs> he, kept, uh, he kept falling down and so did everybody else. Didn't yeah. He? Yeah. So, um, and who was the first person I bumped into in Athens? Franny Fun. Lee. And did he collapse to <laughs> the ground, Malcolm, in, in appeal? Yeah. <laughs> and the, the, the interesting. But a bit later on, uh, we we went back to Athens again, and, and and we were walking, just walking along the the pavement, and 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 I looked, and I thought. Good heavens, I know that face. And it suddenly came to me, this was one of my great heroes from my childhood. Great Mr. heroes. And it was Ferenc Puskas. Mr. Blobby, as, as he was with that bill. Yes, yeah. Um, and, and he at the time was manage, managing Panathinaikos. Yes. And he stopped on the pavement looked at me and he said i know you you have just had a an excellent season with your new club newcastle um he, he said i'm very pleased to meet you um called me malcolm and i called him mr buskers um and he said uh, he said you know i am manager of planet and icos and I, I said yes i'm well aware he said well our season is still going he said we have a friendly um uh, in, in next week he said i want you to play and i said well you'd have to ask newcastle united about that um and and so he phoned joe harvey up and joe was in such utter awe at being on the end of the phone with ferrant buskers well he was and, a tight he was a tight player malcolm wasn't know, he li literally whatever you want you can have <laughs> and so i played for for uh, Panath Nikos. Um, he was in, a unique player. Unique <laughs> player, Malcolm, wasn't he? Absolute unique player, Puskas, uh, without oh, a shadow. He, I think he was, uh, um, I think he was, I, I, it's very arguable, but personally, I think he was probably the greatest player the world has known. 
I mean, um, he changed the world of football, Malcolm, yes. when he came with the Hungarians and went to Wembley in the scored six against England. That's which right. Which was unheard of. And, and England were just completely mesmerised oh. by the Hungarians in the way that they moved, the way they played, the, their position. And that was... Everything. And right in the middle of it. Yep, yep. The, yeah. Coming back to the season we're talking about, 72-73 mile, we finished ninth. We were fifth for a long period during the second half of the season, during 1973. So we were going extremely well. From your point of view, having finished your first season, like, a, you know, going like a train uh, and scoring all your goals, you started in the same vein. In the first five games of that season, you scored four goals. And in the first 10 games of that season, I'm talking about in the league, you had nine goals. Nine goals from your first 10 games of that mm. season, which included uh, scoring a hat-trick at Coventry on September the 16th, 72, when we beat Coventry 3-0. You scored all three goals. And then you did your left knee at Leeds... Uh, in the 69th minute, my record book tells me I've been having a look. Yes. So 20 minutes from the end, we you scored and we won the game 3 2, but you did your left knee. I know that because you came. Yeah, it, 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 was, um, it, was, it was in a clash with um, Trevor Ch Cherry, ah. who signed for Leeds from Huddersfield. Um, and it was just one of those where I, where I turned uh, and uh, to, to volley a shot. Um, I was I was outside the Leeds box, and Trevor Cherry just put his boot up, and I and, and I'm sure went, and my knee went round his knee. Uh, oh, sorry, my my lower leg went round his knee, and um, uh, 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 and uh, and damaged all the ligaments on on the outside of my legs. So I was stuck in plaster for a fortnight. It took about um, it took about four weeks for it yes. to heal beyond those two weeks um and it was it was always something that i i felt was um it was onerous on on the player um and i think it was also dangerous to a degree that i was going it, to ask you malcolm did you feel did you feel that the injury was accidental I'm only asking because yes, it was Leeds. Yes, yes, it was a it was a clash. It because a clash. sometimes, if you had clashes, Leeds had Leeds, reputations, but uh, not Trevor Cherry. Yeah, I was going to say if we're talking Billy Bremner, or we're talking yeah. Norman Hunter, or we're talking Johnny Giles, or Giles, or even Sniffer Clark up front, Malcolm. Yes. He left the, he left his boot out an oh, awful yes. lot in and Sniffer. I mean, he was a naughty centre forward. The whole team mm. were basically capable of being naughty while they were capable of getting yeah, yeah they should be very naughty i was but... always surprised malcolm what was your feeling i was always surprised that people of the ability of bremner and giles who could spray passes around in midfield could be so nasty physically as well for all that talent both of yeah, them could be nasty it, yes and, and Billy Bremner had got into all sorts of scrapes. He was sent off with Kevin Keegan at Wembley. At Wembley, remember, yes. yes. In a cup final. And um, 
Johnny Giles was the worst. Yes. He would come so late. I, I could actually um, uh, uh, give you an, inst an instance at St. James Park. Newcastle had a, had a free kick about, oh, it was about 25 yards out. And Terry Hibbert and I were on the ball. And I said to Hibby, I said, if, if you just roll it two feet, I said, I can, I can curl this round into the, into the, into the corner. Um, and so, so he rolled it and I, and I, I whacked it. It's gone round the wall and it's hit the top of the bar and it's gone up in the air and, and it's gone quite a way up and it's come down and it, and I saw the fella in the crowd jump up, catch the ball. And that's when Johnny Giles hit me with six studs um, right on the thigh. Uh, it, you know, as late as that. Oh, it was, yeah, it, it was almost next year. I was, was going to say, if he'd been, if he'd been oh, any later. You... It really was late. And, yeah. and, and that was, um, that was Leeds United in particular, Johnny Giles. It wasn't um, that, Malcolm, wasn't that why when there was such a great side and they were winning the title and everything like that, they were unloved because unlike, say, Liverpool today or Manchester City today, they play their way to the title. Leeds were capable of playing beautifully, but they were capable of being reflective of Revy, I guess, the iron fist in the Velvet Glove. And a lot of fans didn't like them for that reason. John, I don't think it was an iron fist in a velvet glove. I think it was just, um, just, uh, just sheer over the top with, um, uh, uh, with very sharp studs. Yeah, as simple as that. Um, because they weren't, they weren't they, like Malcolm, were they? They weren't they, like. They didn't take prisoners at all, and um, and I, I, I never. I never got on with Revy at any particular time. I found him always aloof and quite distant, uh, and and quite rude. Uh, um, but he certainly wasn't that to his own players. No, to, to others he was. Um, but there, there, there was one time. Um, it was it was the last game of the season. Leeds United had just been beaten by Sunderland. So it, the seventy-three um, in the cup final, FA Cup final, yeah, yeah, which was the end of this particular season, of course. Uh, and and so they've been beaten in the cup final. They um, Derby had won. Uh, uh, sorry, Derby were top of the table. Yes. Leeds United needed one point out of two remaining games, both away from home, playing Newcastle first and Wolves um, as the ultimate game of the season. And they needed one point because they had a superior goal difference to uh, to Derby. This is the season. And they would win the title. And Derby had already flown off to, to Spain. Uh, and we're lying around a pool. This was um, Clough's derby, wasn't it? Happen. Yeah, and 
And on the Monday prior to the game, which I think was on the Tuesday, it was it was brought forward. We usually played on Wednesday, but it was brought forward because Leeds then had um, a second game that they had to play, I think, on Thursday um, at, at Molyneux. And, um, and Terry Hibbett came in into the dressing room for, for training on the Monday and he sort of he and he looked worried and concerned and and I and I said to him because uh, he used to sit um, near to me um, to get changed uh, and I said what's up Hibby I said you're you're a bit sullen um, more more than usual um, and he's, he's he said I, I, I've got a problem he said I've got a real problem he said I had he said I had I don't know how to put this over to everybody but I feel that I've got to tell you all I've had a phone call this weekend he said and it's from a businessman in Leeds he said he had a big furniture business who was a close friend of Don Revy's he had phoned saying if we let uh, Leeds United have the win uh, uh, and it was our last game of the season. If we let them have the win, uh, we would get, um, I think it was 5,000 quid to share out between us. Well, that was a, a sizable whack of money back then in those days. Um, but we we listened to what Hibby said and, 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 and he sort of said, you know, don't shoot the messenger for heaven's sake. And we all and and this with it being the last game of the season, you know, you go out there, you don't want to get injured, you know. There's no fun in having a holiday with a plaster cast on. Yeah. Um, and so, <clears throat> and uh, so, the reaction in the dressing room to Hibby telling us this was of absolute fury of indignation everybody is that trying to buy us and and so what what leeds did was get the opposite effect of what they wanted out of newcastle and we went out on that pitch and we just said right let's have the past and and we went for them and uh, um, and I, I should never forget Stuart Barraclough. He did a great little thing. Um, I think it was David Craig who had gone down the right wing, and he had smashed um, a cross that was literally scudding across the ground. And and Stuart Barraclough had made a run to the near post. And for all the world, he looked as if he was going to right foot it inside of his right foot <coughs> and knock it towards the um, uh, towards the far post. And at the very last second, he jumped over it, and it and it came. And I came onto it, smacked it in the net. But it, Stuart Barraclough not only left it for me, who was in a better position, but he had wrong footed everybody. For me, um, and, and so I just and I just smacked it first time into the corner, and that was the only goal of the game. And so, 
And so Leeds lost that game. Uh, and, uh, and there was no love loss between the two sides whatsoever over those 90 minutes. <coughs> and, and, two, and, and two days later, what happened there was, uh, with, with Leeds travelling down to Molyneux, um, John Richards joined the England party, as, as I did as well, um, a, a couple of days after this last, very last game of the season. Um, and, uh, um, and he and I, we exchanged tales. And what happened was that having failed against us, there was a phone call made to somebody at Wolves offering them £10,000. Um, it was another businessman from, from Leeds. Uh, and, um, and, and John Richards said that they reacted in exactly the same way as Newcastle did, that they were not wanting to get injured. Um, and so just see the 90 minutes out. Um, and then this phone call, the offer of 10,000 quid to share amongst everybody. And they, and they reacted as we did. And they went, right, we're going to have the sign. And, and this was Leeds' last chance. They just needed one point. And Wolves beat them. I think it was 2-1. And, uh, and so Derby County over in, uh, over in uh, 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 Malaga or wherever they were, um, they, they started popping the corks of, uh, of the champagne. Um, and celebrating over there. And it was um, Cluffy, wasn't it? It was Cluffy's It was Cluffy, thing. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, and later, Cluffy, he always oh, seriously thanked me, um, and uh, and I'm sure that he went and thanked John Richards. At, uh, I'm sure um, he would. As and when he was able to do and, so. And if you remember, Malcolm, if you remember, when he was, when he was made manager of... Leicester, sorry, of oh, Leeds, manager of Leeds, which only yes. has 40 odd days or something. His first speech to all the great players was, Why don't you go and throw your medals in the river because uh, you didn't get them honorably? Which was That's right. went well, down like a lead balloon, of course. Of course, but Cluffy, he, um, he was informed, um, <laughs> people made sure he was informed. Of what had happened with the with the offer to Newcastle and then uh, a doubled offer to to Wolves that they were that and Leeds they were looking to to buy the games. Uh, yes, it was a, a, a period which was you know yeah well you know okay it was it wasn't anybody direct from the club but it was Leeds supporters um, phoning up ex Leeds players and what have you yeah and. You know, it was all very suspicious. But I have no doubts whatsoever that Leeds would have beaten us had they not made that offer. They were a good team, Malcolm. They, they were, were a very good team. Very, yes. very good team. Very, very, very good. good team. If, um, if, and, and, and certainly were cap capable of beating pretty much anybody. Yeah. But... You get people's backs up, and it's amazing just how they can react. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what Leeds 
um, was succeeding in doing. They got our backs up, walls backs up. Yeah. Before we go on to the following season, we've got to mention that at the end of that 72-73 season, we won the Anglo-Italian Cup, which people today might wonder, well, how important is that? But because of the situation in Europe, these cups were being created. And, you know, if you were playing sides from Serie A, which the English clubs were, they yeah. were tough games. And we oh, went John, on to win. John, I, remember, I remember going to the Olympic Stadium in Rome. Yes. Um, in one in one of the matches and we were yes, playing Lazio. No, no, it was the first game, Malcolm, I've got it here, it was the first game in the Anglo-Italian we played away to Roma. In the, It was Olympic Stadium. There's oh, to Roma. Okay, in, in the Olympic Stadium. Against and... Roma. Hmm? Against Roma and we won 2-0. Yeah, right, it was Roma. Okay. And... Uh, it was it was quite a learning curve, I have to say. Um, there, there was uh, uh, the fellow was he was a very good centre half, but what he was doing was um, as the ball got to when the ball was played to me, and I was sort of getting myself set to control the ball, hold the centre half off. What he was doing was stepping off and he would come suddenly charging over, over a couple of yards. And when the ball was two yards from me, just before it was coming into my space, um, he just booted me in the air. And he just kept doing it time and again. Um, Jack Taylor was the referee. The World Jack Cup Taylor. final referee. Mm, yes. Yeah. The um, World Cup final, and, yeah. And I, and I said to Jack Taylor... Uh, because he, he let about six of these tackles where I was just booted up in the air and he never gave a foul on each one. He, he was letting them go. And I went over to him and I said, what on earth do you think you're doing that? The most blatant fouls. I said, you can see what the fella's doing. He says, oh, oh, look, he says, look where we are. He says, we don't want to cause any trouble, do we? I said, that centre-half's the one that's causing the trouble. And if you don't get it sorted out, I'll do it for myself. And he said, now, don't you go doing anything silly. Well, I said, uh, he, he, he whacked me a couple of more times. And so I, I, went, I said to Hibby, I said, Hibby, I said, I'm going to go at a bit of an angle. I said, and I want you to knock the ball between me and the centre-half, make it a 50-50. Okay, he said, and Hibby was great, uh, you know, at a request like that. He could he could do it spot on. And so the ball was played. It was a 50-50 situation. And, and I'm not proud to say this, but I just had enough of this fella booting me in, up in the air all the while. And, and so uh, I went and I smashed his knee in. And uh, he, he was carried off. Jack Taylor... He said, I know what you did. He said, I said, yeah, and what did he do a dozen times beforehand? He said, right. He said, he said, one more. He said, and I'm going to send you off. He didn't book me. 
but he warned me that the next time he sent he would send me off um and anyway they carried the center half off and they sent a sub on and you should have seen him he was like a gorilla john <laughs> he had shoulders on him like that he had a big chest on him like that and he and 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 you said and he was you so better back he was so muscle bound he had to keep he had to keep sort of jogging on the spot so he didn't he didn't set solid <laughs> and and he's just booted me up in the air and i'm looking at jack taylor and seriously he just ignored every single tackle from behind um that the italians made anyway um uh, it while all this was going on, um, Stuart Barraclough nipped in and, and tucked a goal in. And I think John Tudor, he he got a, a one. Yeah. And we finished up coming away from Roma, who were one of the top sides in Italy. And we had won 2 0. It was. Uh, I was going to say, if you win a cup by going to Roma and winning and, and beating them in the final, and we'll come to that in a minute, going to. Fiorentina and winning. It's yeah, a serious competition. Yeah. It's Which a I miss. Competition. Yes. Oh, absolutely, John. It was a serious competition. Um, I missed that. You missed the final. Yeah, because I, I was with the England squad. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, I remember that because I was obviously traveling with us at the time. And I remember yes. the Roma game and the crowd reaction to that. It, it just filling in what happened. You scored against Torino at home and we beat them 5-1. And in the semi-final, we actually played Crystal Palace because you weren't necessarily going to get an Italian side all the way because if they got knocked out, you would get yes. a fellow English side and we played Crystal Palace in the semi-final. Uh, and in the second leg, it was two leg. There was not not down there. Second leg, you scored a hat-trick against Palace and we beat Palace 5-1 which put us in the final in Florence against Fiorentina, one-off game. The stadium was absolutely packed and we were playing without a superstar centre-forward because I forget where you were, Malcolm, but you were on tour with England. Yes, I, I where, where, where all my teammates uh, from Newcastle uh, were um, enjoying the... Uh, the wines of Italy and and the wonderful food. I I was in communist Eastern Europe. Well, serves you right. <laughs> Do you know? I went on three England tours, and every one of them was um, uh, was to communist countries. Were they? Yes, three tours in a row. You know, you've there were other years where they go to Brazil and go to Argentina, and uh, you've uh, got a lucky mate. <laughs> If I think I got a short straw in life, John. I'm telling you. Go on, mate. Yes, absolutely. But if if we can go on to 73-74, which was a significant season, I'll quickly run through your figures again because I like people to know. Oh, can I, sorry, John. Just yeah. on stats because yes. I, I, you've got much much um, superior stats to what I'm able to get hold of. But what I did notice was, interestingly, that this season that we've just been talking yes. about, yes. Uh, 72-73, that was the best Newcastle United season of my five years there. Yes, it was. Uh, uh, we, 
yeah, the, that uh, we finished um, eighth, I think, yeah, or was it yeah, ninth? Yeah, it was our best league season. We, we, we had good results in knockouts, but that was the best league season. Sure. But, but there was one stat that really stuck out to me. And what it was, was, was that we only won four of 21 games away from home. Incredible. Not good enough. Not good enough. And if you know you, if 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 we had won another half a dozen or so, whoa, oh. you know, then we, then then you're doing a bit of serious challenge. Well, um, but it was the away form, obviously, that was letting us down generally as a side. Yes, I mean by seventy three seventy four in the league, you played twenty nine games only. Because of injuries, etc., you were never rested. Yeah, I had a cartilage operation, John. Yeah, if you were yeah. fit, you played. In those mm. 29 games, you scored 15 goals, which is keeping up the average of one in two. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to two for the uh, whole of the season, which is what our current centre forward does. FA Cup, 10 games. FA Cup, and this is the, the, the season of going to the final. FA Cup, 10 games, 7 goals. League Cup, 2 games, 3 goals. Texaco Cup, 4 games, 3 goals. Competitively, that is 44 games and 28 goals, which is quite phenomenal. Um, mm. And what the pattern that was emerging for me, Malcolm, was it in lots of... Newcastle have always had a history in the past... It rather stopped with your team, actually. After your team, it rather stopped of being a cup team. In the 50s, Jackie Milburn always said, we might have won the league if we hadn't been a cup team. But going to Wembley, the, the drama of the day, everything centres around the centrepiece of the season, the FA Cup final, we loved all that. I.e. you can win the first division championship on a beach in Mallorca, but you win the FA Cup at Wembley with yeah. 100,000 people and millions on telly. Harvey was part of that team as a player, of course, that knew all about knockout competitions. And as a manager, he was becoming, building, and by job, I'm not complaining because it was wonderful, he was almost reproducing a knockout team that excelled in cup competitions, bearing in mind he'd won the European Fairs Cup. Uh, the season we've just talked about, he'd won the Anglo-Italian. Uh, in this season, 73-74, he got to the FA Cup final and won mm -hmm. the Texaco Cup. So we were becoming, it wasn't a wonderful, but we were becoming knockout specialists. Yes. Yeah. Which, Joe had, which Joe had been as a player himself. Mm. And yes. that that was... Our fans loved that. I mean, that run to Wembley, where you scored in every round mm. and you scored away from home and we got through every round away from home. Everybody talks about Liverpool in the final. What they don't talk about was the amazing way we got to the final, where we got through every round away from home and mm. the one time we got through at home, 4-3 against, uh, against Nottingham Forest with 10 men, we had a replay and we got through away yet again. Um, 
But the excitement, I remember to this day, the, the, the um, build-up and all those wins in 74 towards the final, and the build-up to the final itself, phenomenal. Newcastle yes. fans loved it. Yeah, um, oh, absolutely. Um, but the, um, And there was actually um, more drama created by how the fixture list worked out, because in that... In that last uh, month or so leading up to the FA Cup final, we beat Burnley in the semi-final of the FA Cup, but we actually played them five times to include that semi-final because we, we played them twice in the league and we played them um, uh, twice um, in, in, um, in, I think it was the Texaco Cup. Yes, it was five times in, in four weeks that we played them. What I was coming on to, and you might be getting a little bit mixed up, Marla, it, it, no. what I was going to come on to, but we'll deal with the FA Cup first, uh, after the FA Cup, was we played Birmingham six times uh, because we played them in the league, we played them in the Texaco Cup, I think you think the Birmingham, and we played... Uh, we played them in the League Cup, and it's the famous Tony one Jinky Smith thing. But we'll come to yes, it. Yes, yes. We'll come to it in a and, minute. And in the prior games, I had been done. Yes. Um, and oh, yes. Before that, Irving Natris had been done. Yeah. Let Let Irving us get to that players. in a minute because it is a, a, a very essential part of the season. But if we can look at the FA Cup. And you know what's staggering with me, Malcolm, when you look back, and we touched on it at the top of this particular programme, the Newcastle draw, he didn't think of resting players in big competitions. He actually rested players between the semi-final of the FA Cup and the final of the FA Cup, uh, and, and we didn't win a, a game. Well, we actually lost five, drew four, and won one, out of our last 10 league games, which is why we dropped the 15th in the league. Because all of a sudden, between the semi-final and the final of the FA Cup, he played, I looked in the record book, he played in the first team at different times. Burley, Kennell, Crossan, Hope, who was a centre-forward, Robson, an attacker, and Bruce. They all played in that build-up and we didn't get a win. But the staggering thing was that in cup competitions which mattered and he was a cup guy we played the texaco cup final at home on april the 24th and we played the fa cup final on may the 4th mm. which is you know less than a fortnight later and we played exactly the same team in the texaco cup final which <laughs> went to extra time against burnley and we won it and he, yes. he didn't rest one player for Wembley. He wanted to win that competition because it was a knockout cup competition. And he mm. did win it. And then we went to Wembley and played the same boys again. That today, people look at that and would say, well, he was crackers. I go the other way. I look at that and say, why did Newcastle United in the Ashley era put out all the reserves. The first team weren't good enough and they put out the reserves in the FA Cup and the League Cup under Ashley 
because you want to help the competition. Ludicrous, Malcolm. Well, John, it's not only ludicrous and madness, but it is so unprofessional. Newcastle United were never going to win the Premiership. Not at all. Not at all. So, if you've got the chance of going and having a cup run and perhaps even winning it, go for it. Yeah. And this is where I can't, I could not, for the life of me, understand managers saying, oh, we're not interested in cups, we're only interested in the league. But you're never going to win it. You're finishing in the bottom. in the bottom half of the table all the while. In fact, under Ashley, Newcastle got relegated twice and yes. still they were playing uh, reserve sites in, in the cup matches. The incredible thing, Malcolm, is that you are condemning, Ashley was condemning a generation of Newcastle fans, the young fans, to the mm. fact that their club was never going to have the chance to win anything during his tenureship because we couldn't win the league and we weren't going to win the FA Cup and the League Cup because we're putting reserves out. It was absolutely... And yet Newcastle, if you go through history, were always seen as an FA Cup side. Mm. They were always... You know, Joe Harvey was brought up on them being an FA Cup side. You know, talk about waving the white flag before the war started. Yeah, absolutely. That's a brilliant way of putting it. That's exactly what we did. That's. Yeah. I mean, we, we have talked a lot in the past, so we needn't go over it kick by kick, about Nottingham Forest and what happened with Newcastle. And But the amazing thing was that year we started, in the FA Cup I'm talking about, that season, we started off with bad results at home against very inferior sides. I think we're talking Hendon and Scunthorpe. Mm-hmm. And then we we beat them away. You scored in all the rounds away from home because Forrest ended up where you had a we went to a neutral ground Everton and you got the winner in the the, the third game against Forrest, if you like. Yes. And of course the semi-final was a, was on neutral ground, so it was away also both sides. It, um prior to the Forest game, that was the sixth round, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. In yes. the fifth round, we played West Brom. That was our great performance, Malcolm. Oh, John, that was one of the great team performances that I've ever played in. It really one was. One of the best I've seen, Malcolm. Yeah, and 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 the, the crazy thing was that Terry Hibbert got injured in the first few minutes. And he came off. Who was off. our playmaker? Who was our playmaker? Yes, and he came off. And Jimmy Smith came on. In um, the show. Yeah, and I had never... People kept telling me, you've never seen Jinky at his best. You've never seen Jinky at his best. When he came on against West Brom, he was absolutely incredible. Sensational. Sensational. And I shall never, ever forget the um, the cross that that he, 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 um, he rocketed in, um, across from out on the right wing at a slightly at its angle slightly behind and he just and it was like it came like an exocet and I just got up headed it thank you very much and nobody could challenge me they couldn't get near the cross it was so perfect it was oh 
and he was just an absolute joy to play with. And then at other times, he'd be so frustrating that I'd want to go and kick him up the backside. <laughs> oh, I mean, that was a wonderful, wonderful display at West Brom. It was, it, it the, was incredible, uh, yes. It was yes. the highlight of... I mean, I've got to say, it, it was the highlight for 90 minutes of the whole run to Wembley. But I adored, of course, the semi-final against Burnley because we were mm. battered first half. Johnson. Absolutely battered. Yeah. And won. And they won. did batter us. The first half and the first 15 minutes of the second half. So that was the first hour of the game in all. Burnley absolutely battered us. They... Uh, um, they were literally camped on the edge of our box um, and, uh, uh, and and they were creating so many goal chances and and of course the, su the supermark the supermark was Willie McFall at that that's that's right yes you know I'd, I'd finish that that I was sort of given the, the the man of the match awards because I scored two goals but the man of the match really was Willie McFall he yes. was sensational that day. He made unbelievable saves. And, and and sort of on the halfway line, I'm looking and I'm seeing the saves that he's making. And I was and I could hear the noise that the that the two centre halves were making, you know, the <laughs> groans and what have you. And I and I knew that Willie on his own, he was breaking their hearts. And yeah. and of course it just needed um it just needed then something to happen in the Burnley area, and uh, and of course it, it, you know, fantastic ball from Terry Hibbett um, that 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 set me up to 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 go and score the goal. But you know, when you've got a chance like that, you have to take it. There is one thing I want to say about that, and and that is that. Uh, um, Terry, having knocked it, and and, uh, um, and the the Burnley centre half, he had gone, he he had sort of ventured forward because Hibby actually hit it from just outside of our penalty area. You know, when you look at him, he, he's not seven stone soaking wet for heaven's sake. Um, and Colin Waldron, the centre half, he sort of took the liberty of getting in front of me, thinking that he could intercept. But of course, Hibby, um, it was all timing, and he was the—he was such a magnificent striker of the ball um, that he has just sent this absolute exocet of a, of a of a pass, and and Colin Waldron thinking it's going to drop short, it didn't. It kept going, and I knew it would keep going. So I've I've just turned and and Hibby, having already played it. Um, He's, um, I'm well on side inside of my own half, and I'm just turned and I'm away. And Colin Waldron is doing his best to to uh, catch up to me, and um, and uh, he, he literally just jumped on me back and uh, and got me, got hold of me around the neck. And so I'm I was going running with him. I was literally piggybacking him. Um, and trying to keep the ball under control. And, and of course, uh, for those who weren't there, what happened was that he sort of started to slide down 
as I continued to run. He, and he sort of slid down my body until he until he came off. And I think we've just seen a photograph where he's where he's actually gone down he's on the, the floor. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and and I was off balance, but I got a shot in, which Alan Stevenson, the Burnley keeper, he parried with his with his hands in front, and it came and it came back to me um, just to my right, and so I I just took it a couple of yards and side-footed it and, and rolled literally rolled it into the net, into an empty net. Um, the thing was that the referee, he, his name was Gordon Hill. Gordon Hill. Hill. Gordon Hill. Um, he was, he, he was uh, uh, he, I think he was a school headmaster from Leicester. After the game, I said to him, I said, there's a full crowd out there at Hillsborough. I said, there's television cameras all over. I said, and yet you allowed a fellow to jump on me back um, for him just to cling on. You've watched me trying to, to stay up on my feet. I said, why didn't you take the easy option, blow your whistle and give a free kick? And then the situation's dead. He said, because, he said, as a referee, I feel it's my duty to know and understand the people I'm refereeing. And if there was anybody who was going to stay on their feet and get a shot in, it was going to be you. And he said, so I didn't give a free kick. And I thought that has got to be one of the most brilliant bits of refereeing ever. And he's just explained it as well to me. Know your players, Malcolm. Know yes. your players. Yeah. And I must, yeah, yeah. I must say, because I was there on the day, as were thousands of Geordies who will be watching this and saying, yeah, I was there. You've definitely underplayed your two goals in talking about how well McFall did and Hibby's pass, etc., etc., because they were not easy goals, man. They, mm. There was a lot of work still to be done on both occasions, and the job was done uh, and yeah. done expertly. Yeah, yeah. mine. I, when I when I had the person I haven't mentioned was for the second goal was Terry McDermott, and he hit an absolute belter of a goal to equal Terry Hibbert almost um, yeah. to put me away for the um, for the second goal. Yeah, he could play, he could play a little bit as well. Oh, yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, he could play a little bit. It was, yeah, absolutely superb passing, and of course, it it just goes to show that you know Burnley were so much on top for an hour, but you you just have to bide your time, and if you know, stay stay firm, stay tight, uh, and and do whatever you can to stop the other side from scoring and, and wait for your chance to happen. And that was the, the classic example of suddenly turning a game um, yeah. um, all, all in, in one pass and a shot. Can I, can I mention, Malcolm, because we're running out of time, and we did say earlier in the programme, I would mention it, it was the matches with Birmingham rather than Burnley which produced. They, they were known at the time as the Brummy Bashers. I remember yes. that ever so yeah. well. 
and we played them six times. One game was a band in the League Cup, so I technically we played them five times, I guess. And we played them in the League, and we played them in the League Cup, and we played them in the Texaco Cup. And the reason for mentioning it was that the games, we, we almost played them back to back to back to back. Yeah. And any bad blood was going to carry over because you didn't have another four months before you saw them again. And it was the, it was the, the difficulty in early December, uh, we played Birmingham Irving Natris was often four minutes. Uh, he'd been done by Tony one, one of their players. Yes. And then uh, in the Texaco at our place, Tony one had his leg broken in, a, in two minutes by Jackie yeah. Smith. Right, you could press box, Malcolm, which at that stage was at the back of the stand. Well, it was on the roof. Yes, I could. Yes, absolutely. It was, it on, was, on, it was on top of the roof. Correct. I, I, well, I, I was up there because I had a plaster cast on my leg from the previous game against yes. Birmingham, and and they had, after Irving they did me. And you could um, you could hear the snap up there, couldn't you? You could hear the snap on one. yes. Oh yes, sitting up there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and Jinky knew exactly what he was doing. Yes, no question. And, uh, yeah, he was getting, he was getting the fella back on behalf of Nat, both myself and, and you, Natris. and yeah. you. Uh, yeah, and, and there were uh, all but, games. But the referee never had the opportunity to send him off because Jinky did it right by the sideline. And, walked and just walked straight off onto the track and, and headed for the tunnel. <laughs> and, and the referee was sort of having to chase after him. Oh, okay, you, you come here. I'm going to send you off. We went on with 10 men to beat them 3 yeah. 1. But I mean, as I say, fabulous, fabulous memories. You, we'd quickly become established in the image of Joe Harvey, I always felt, because, you know, we. The previous season we'd won the Anglo-Italian. This season we reached the FA Cup final, a wonderful achievement, and won the Texaco Cup. And then um, Joe loved the enjoyment of, of knockout football, mm -hmm. the excitement of knockout football. He'd been brought up in Newcastle under Stan Seymour with Mitchell. And, and there he, there's the two guys having a fag, I say, Uncle Joe. I've, I see very few photographs of Uncle Joe without a fag in his hand, apart from when he was playing. The rest of the time, he seemed to be knee-deep in fagas. What, what a lovely man and what a, a, a great servant in Newcastle. But he me. loved the panache, didn't he? Yes. Panache, if, if going out in sudden uh, thrust and parry, you, would, you either were triumphant or you were dead. And the league almost seemed like uh, the Grand National course mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. so many jumps. Whereas you get a cup, it's six matches and you've got glory. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and we were very, very good at that time. And that's why I found it as an old-fashioned sort of guy, very, very annoying that our attitude to the domestic cup competitions under Ashley... What I love yes. under the new regime, John, what I love, Malcolm, under the new regime, and I'm going to bring you in and ask you this, is that yeah. they have already said that their intention this coming season in the, and in the future is to have a real pop 
at the FA Cup and the League Cup. Why? Mm. Because we ain't going to win the league. We might eventually under this lot in, in, yes, in about six years' well. time. But we could win the FA Cup or the League Cup this mm. coming season with the right draws. You must have a goal, Malcolm, mustn't you? Oh, absolutely. Plus the fact, John, you win that competition and it takes you into Europe. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. For I tell you what, Malcolm, Malcolm, if we win the FA Cup or the League Cup in the next three seasons, they, they can take Earl Grey off the top of Grey's Monument and put Eddie Howe up there. Because <laughs> they were, they'll know what it's like when they bring the cup back to St. James's Park and arrive in the Central Station. They'll say, God, is that what all the fuss has been about all these years? <laughs> That'll be the dog's business. Let's have that, please. That'll do me in my old age, and I think it'll do all three of us. I, can I think so. It would do all three of us. And I can see him sitting at Wembley when we win a trophy there and saying to himself, I knew I joined for some reason to support this club for the rest of my life, and this is what it was about. Yeah. And that's what we all want. Absolutely. Great stuff, lads. And, and a lot of people say, where's Steve, where's Steve? I'll just sit back and listen, just like everybody else on these shows. It's the right way to do it. It's the respectful way to do it. And uh, it's just thoroughly enjoyable uh, listening to those uh, those recollections from from yesteryear and some, some great stories. I do have to give a quick shout out, of, as always, uh, to our sponsors. Thanks to Spider Miner, the only cryptocurrency miner that can mine five different cryptocurrencies at the same time whilst using virtually no energy and it's VPN protected. Buy yours now at www.miner.spidervpn.org. Thanks to Skips and Bins, telephone 0800 2545 email inquiries at skipsandbins.com, website www.skipsandbins.com, easy contract free and pay-as-you-go waste collection. Thanks to LNG Family Funeral Directors, 0913897245, and to Garden of Healing Dispensary, CBD Hemp and Cannabinoid Specialists, www.goohd.com. Thanks to qtechshop.co.uk, the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls and Newcastle, and the guys who run our website, nufcmatters.com. Thanks to Kleekai, meet the new game over screen. Drop into a Clearun device near you, available on Apple Store, Google Play, and Clearun.games. Thanks to Media Arts for all the help with the video side of things. And if you want to subscribe, hit the Newcastle Legends logo in the bottom right-hand corner, and you can subscribe for free. Still doing seven shows a week. Hit the thumb up to like the video, click share to share to your social media and drop into the comments box to speak to like-minded Newcastle fans. We are still available as a podcast as well on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean and the rest. Uh, you can tune in usually 24 hours uh, after the show has finished on YouTube. And uh, we also have a membership scheme. So if you want to join, you can click join underneath the YouTube video or put your smartphone over the QR code. It takes you straight to the website and you can become a member. If you do it that way, you get a scarf, a cup, a pen, a membership card, and entry into the monthly draw. We also give you a, a car sticker if you are a subscriber. That's for free. Uh, so just email john at nufcmatters.com, and John will send you one out. Please support the food bank, nufcfansfoodbank.co.uk, is where you can make a virtual donation to the match day bucket. And last but by no means least, uh, tomorrow night, you can pay on the door. Uh, we have done uh, 80 tickets for tomorrow night. Uh, so it's going to be a cracker night. Mick Lowe's and Andy Griffin uh, will be live uh, at Shira's Bar, 7 o'clock tomorrow night. So if you're uh, struggling for something to do, pop up and see the guys. Give them your support. Should be an absolutely cracking 
night. Lads, as always, been a pleasure. Great to listen to those stories. Uh, look forward to uh, seeing you both next week. Take care, John. Take care, Malcolm. Indeed. Have a good week, guys. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you.